Amen. Isn't God good? Jesse, come up here real quick. Just take a step up here. He's wearing the illegal shirt. This shirt is illegal in 53 countries. Because of the cross? Because of the cross. Because of the gospel, actually. Wow. Because of the gospel. Uh, that many countries do not allow the gospel to be preached in, in, their, in that country. 53. 53. Well, we can preach it here for now. Amen. So tell us what's happening. We'll preach it anyway. Yeah. Uh, praise God. We'll preach it anyway. Amen. Uh, yeah. My name is Jesse Arriaga, and I'm the street outreach uh, leader. And we've been having some meetings. We had a meeting a couple of Fridays ago, and we showed the 180, uh, part one of the 180 uh, video. Has anybody seen that? Anybody? Some of y'all should have because you watched it with me. <laughs> so uh, it's a very interesting video. Anyway, this Friday, we're going to show part two of, of that video. And we're going to be meeting in the South End in room uh, 100. And uh, what we did last Friday after we had the meeting, and we watched the video, we prayed, and we went out last Friday to uh, the Cutting Edge Haunted House. Y'all know what that is, right? It's a Guinness Book of World Records. No, we don't have to say that. But we went out there and we handed out, there was five of us that went out and we handed out about 700 tracks to all the kids that were coming out, all the people that were coming out. It was a good night because it was Texas OU night and there was a bunch of them out there, all right? So this Friday, we're going to watch the second half of that movie and then next uh, Saturday, after the Saturday service, we're going to go out to What's that Hangman's. Date? That's, uh, the date is the 27th. Okay. The 27th of 26th. October. 26th? 26th. Oh, 26th. Uh, we're no, it's the 27th. I'm Kathy? right. The 20 You're See, leading us astray. Me. She corrected me in staff when I said the 26th. <laughs> she, so I All knew right. it was the 27th. And we're going to go out to the Hangman's House of Horrors. It's a March of Dimes uh, haunted house. Okay, it's for charity. But, see, these things, they bring out the crowds. People want to go get scared. Can you imagine that? They want to go get scared. Anyway, we're there if they do get scared. Okay? Because when you do get scared, you open yourself up to things. Fear. You know what the Bible says about fear? Mm -hmm. It says God has not given us that spirit, has he? No, he hasn't. But you know what else the Bible says? The Bible says, he that winneth souls is what? Wise. Amen. So, so if you can, come out and join us, okay? We'd love to have you guys. Now, and do the dates again. This Friday, this the movie. Friday, the movie, which then, is the 19th at 7 o'clock. And then uh, next Saturday, the next after, Saturday. The, after the Saturday, we're going to all come to the Saturday service, all right? And the 27th. Get them here, Pastor. Get them here, and then you go witness. <laughs> and then we're going to go out to the uh, Hangman's House of Horrors, all right? All right. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Jesse. All right, how many of you are ready to, get, to finish out hearing God tonight? All right, let's put it up there. And I want to close out with some real practical things. Real, matter of fact, some real basic stuff. And then I'm going to close the, the uh, teaching out tonight with some things that maybe you have not heard. And boy, that is tiny up there. I hope it gets bigger for me. Is it? Because if it's not, then Kathy's going to have to go get my glasses out of the office. And the clicker is not, uh, you know, y'all, have you ever, has it occurred to you we need to pray over this clicker? There it goes. All right. Yeah, that's going to have to be bigger or I'm going to have to get my glasses. But anyway, we're good. 
How many of you are ready to hear God? All right, let's pray. Kathy, can you go back there for me? Thank you. All right, Father, we just thank you right now for your goodness and that you still speak. And you guide your children and you lead your children. And Lord, you bring us along your way. You say to us, this is the way, walk ye in it. And so Lord, we pray that tonight you will teach us and minister your word to us that we would be uh, sensitive to the voice of the Lord speaking. Now, can you breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, tonight, speak to me. Sharpen my spiritual ears in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, they got it good size for me, so we're good, Kathy. Just hold on to them. You never know. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to hear God better than you ever have. And you can be seated. It's been a great series. I've loved this. And I want to let you know that next week, Pastor Sonny Kanatzer is going to be sharing a message. And I'll, I'll likely be here, but I'm going to take a little break because we're preparing to go into the whole book of Galatians. We're going to do the book of Galatians. We're going to call it Stand Fast in the Liberty. Stand Fast in the Liberty. I've never taught the book of Galatians. I didn't know that until I started getting ready for this. I thought, I've never done this. I've taught almost all the other ones, but not that one. It's going to be rich. It's all about keeping hold of your liberty that is in Jesus Christ and not being returned again to the yoke of bondage. So uh, next Wednesday, Pastor Sonny, the Wednesday after, we're going to be concentrating on reaching our community with the Fall Harvest Festival. We're, going to, we're expecting around 1,500 to 2,000 people. And so we will be outside on fall harvest. I don't want to say on Halloween because we don't honor Halloween. We call it fall harvest. And it's going to be, and listen, come anyway and get out there and witness. You heard Jesse. He's got the witnessing bug. We need to be, our, our vision is in reach, outreach, and upreach. So outreach is going to be happening too, uh, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. And then on November 7th, we begin Galatians. And we need candy. Kathy and I bought a sack of candy. I was sorely tempted on the way to church to open that bag, but I didn't. And, uh, but we need some candy. You can go out and buy some and put it in that little container out there. It's, I guess it's in the foyer. All right. Let's look at hearing God. Now, we're going to talk about testing the spirits, trying the spirits. I want you to look at what John says in 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Good old John, the apostle, wrote five New Testament letters. Gospel of John, three letters, and the book of Revelation. That's no small resume. Amen? But look what he says here now. He's talking to the church. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do we have a few around in our day? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist 
which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. So the, not the actual man who is yet to appear, but the spirit that propels him, that antichrist spirit. It's already in the world. It was in the world in the days following the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. In the early church, the spirit of antichrist was there. Antichristos, antichrist. You heard that he was coming, and now he's in the world, that spirit. Now, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Because he who is in you, read this, we love this, don't we? Let's read it together. He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? Give the Lord a hand of praise for that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. But look what he says about you and me. We are of God. He who knows God, say it with me, hears us. He who is not of God, what does it say? Does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, when John says, don't believe every spirit, stop thinking about that statement because he's pointing to something that is seeking to communicate with us. After all, how can we be tempted to believe something unless that something had spoken some kind of a message to us? Right? How, you know, how am I going to believe a wrong spirit unless it's communicating with me? So we're talking about another voice in the world. We're talking about an evil voice, a voice not from the Father. In other words, get this, wrong spirits communicate. They have a voice. For instance, here's what Paul warns in 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some are going to turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So right there, Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost that demons teach, they communicate. That's where false doctrines come from. False cults come from. False belief systems come from. That's where the message of our culture often comes from. Spirits that are inserting anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-truth, and hoping that even believers will listen and pay heed to them and be lured away from Christ. And I want to tell you, it happens uh, more times than I care to think about in our day. People leaving the church, biting into some wrong doctrine. Now, based on this passage, it's clear that demons communicate. Paul says they deceive and seduce by actually teaching false doctrine that leads people away from Christ. And as we have studied the subject, hearing God, we've explored the various ways in which God speaks to us, such as through his word. That's primary. That's the numero uno way, the word. Never forget it, charismatic Christian. I'm, I'm full of the Holy Spirit believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but I've learned by some hard knocks that the Word of God is the first and foremost and primary and ultimate way God speaks. All right? It's the Word. So there you have a completed canon of 66 books full of the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Now, but he also speaks through his peace. If you lose your peace, you need to pray about what you're doing or what you're thinking about doing. He speaks through peace. 
And then he speaks through accommodating, affirming circumstances. He opens doors or he closes doors. And when God does that, he's speaking to us. A closed door can be as big a blessing as an open door. But in Revelations, John writes by the Spirit, as a matter of fact, Jesus speaking, he says, I've opened a door that no man can shut. I've set before you an open door and no man can shut it. When he opens a door, there's not a man in the world that can shut it. But he also is the one who shuts and no man opens. Not you, not me. You can't kick it down, bind it down, rebuke it down, pray it down. If God shuts that door, it's shut, and there's a good reason it's shut. All right? He speaks through the inward promptings of the Holy Spirit, a nudge on the inside. We talked about that. Now, God definitely speaks today. But there are also other voices in the world, and in our text, John calls them spirits, pneuma. That's, that's the Greek word for spirit, pneuma, and literally saying that there are spirits out there, invisible beings that communicate, that speak, that lead people astray. They're spirits of error. False prophets are included in this because speaking through them is these wrong or these evil misleading spirits. Jesus warned about wolves in sheep's clothing and the voice of the stranger he talks about in John 5 or John 10 verse 5. Paul warned of evil men and imposters who deceive and are being deceived. And he called them in Acts 20 verse 29, savage wolves. And he warned the church about their arrival as soon as he left. He was talking to the Ephesian elders. And he was telling the Ephesian elders, I'm going to go. I've got to go. I've got to follow where the Spirit of God is taking me. And you're never going to see my face again. And I know that as soon as I leave, and my ministry now is finished with you, savage wolves are going to come in with wrong spirits, and they're going to do everything they can to lead you away from the sound doctrine I've taught you. And I have seen that happen in my life. A strong leader will leave a place, and in come the wolves. In come the wolves. And they teach wrong. They lead astray. They, they have a, a, an erroneous message, not sound. So in a world with so many voices competing for our attention and with so many possibilities of hearing the wrong kind of voice, how does the believer in Christ discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error? How can you really know? How can we cut through the fog of deception to see the truth of what kind of voice is speaking to us? Is it good? Is it evil? Is it of God? Is it of the enemy? Is it me or is it the Holy Spirit? How can you tell? It's called discernment. Amen? Now first, I'm going to tell you how you do it. First, we must hold up all things to the scrutiny of God's Word. All things. We must try the spirits whether they are of God. Now the word try means to examine or to scrutinize. And, and it means you're looking at something really closely to see what it's actually made of. You're not just taking what you're hearing flippantly and loosely and cavalierly, but when, when a voice is coming to you, a, a leadership, a guidance to do something or a path that you think that you're going to take, or whatever it may be, you examine the source of the leadership. You examine the source of the voice. And what you want to know is, is this God? Or is it me, or even worse, is it the enemy? 
So he said, try the spirits. Is the spirit that's talking to you the Holy Spirit? Or is it another spirit? Try it. Test it. Examine it. Scrutinize it. And how do you scrutinize it? The Christian is to hold claims of truth, any claim of truth, anything that comes to speak to you, to guide you. You're to hold it up to examination and close scrutiny to see whether it's truly from God. The number one way to do this is by running truth claims through the sifter of Scripture. That's the number one way. Now, we're told in the book of Acts about a group of people called the Bereans from the town of Berea. And Paul went there, and he went there as he always did. He went into their synagogue, and, and as soon as he got to the town, he began to minister the gospel of Christ and to reason with the Jews who were there to, to persuade them that Jesus was actually the Christ. That was his habit everywhere that he went. So he comes to the Bereans. And when Paul began to teach them the word of God, we we're told, quote, the people of Berea were more open-minded than those had been in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. Now look, they're eager. Boy, I like this. This is, this is turning me on. I like this. This is a great message. But look what they went on to do. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Now those were wise people. I tell you, the church needs a good dose of a Berean spirit in it right now. Because there's a lot of messages hitting the church of Jesus Christ in the West, in America, and Britain, and relatively free countries. There are messages coming to the church. There are false teachers infiltrating the church. And I wish that we would be more like these Bereans who, even though they eagerly heard this word, they said, we're not going to go based on our emotions. We're not going to just bite into it because we like what we're hearing, but we're going to search the scriptures day after day after day, and we're going to test it, try it, examine it, scrutinize it to see if it holds up to the word of God. Because if it doesn't hold up to the word of God, you can throw it away and walk on down the road. If it doesn't hold up the word of God, I don't care how good it looks, how good it feels, how good it seems. If it doesn't hold up the word of God, walk away. You walk away. So notice how the Bereans did it. They held truth up against Scripture. Truth claims up against Scripture. The Bereans ran everything Paul said through the Word of God to test whether what they were hearing agreed with Scripture. This is how we try the spirits. The Word is the ultimate arbiter of every voice claiming to be of God. You know why, church? Because God will never, in any situation ever contradict his word. Jesus said, thy word is truth. It's unalterable. It doesn't bow to different cultures, belief systems. It doesn't care what people think about it. The word remains fixed. We call it absolute truth. It is, it is non-negotiable truth. And it is the same century after century after century, millennia after millennia. It doesn't alter or change. It is the fixed Word of God. And God will never contradict it. So that's why you can know that if, if, if you've got a voice talking to you, uh, maybe something that you're being tempted to believe or something you're being tempted to do, and you're wondering if God's in it, well, you can start out by holding it up to the Word of God. And if the Word of God shoots it down, the Word of God did you a favor. For example, it's being suggested by some today 
that Islam and Christianity can find common ground. Did you know that? And you know they're calling it Chrislam? Chrislam. Now, this is a very real movement going on in America right now. It, it boggles my mind. I'm stunned over it, but it's true. Chrislam. And the, the propagators of Chrislam say, here, here, here's what they do, that we should seek to meet in the middle. Let's meet in the middle. We, can't we all just get along? By finding areas where the two religions agree. Because we don't want to fight with you, and we don't want you fighting with us. In peace, what God really wants. Can I answer that? No. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. That's what Jesus said, not literally, but meaning that his gospel was going to cut between people, cut through cultures, cut through societies, and there would be those that believed and those that did not, that it would be a divisive message, that it would be a resented message, that it would cause, read the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, they got whipped, stoned, persecuted, yelled at. We're in a war zone. Jesus didn't say, I want you to, to give up or compromise your beliefs so you can all get along. That is not what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about repent, turn to God, turn to his Christ, and be saved, or you will go to hell. You will go to hell. It's just that simple. You will be eternally lost. And for, for some people, that sounds incredibly backward. Well, it's only as backward as Jesus Christ was, and guess what? He was never backward. He was forward. He told the truth. Now, but this is what they say. Let's find areas where we can agree, and let's put the two religions together, Christianity and Islam, and we'll call it Chrislam. Amazingly, even some well-known Christian leaders who I could name, but I won't, have embraced this idea. But guess what, church? If you hold this notion up to the scrutiny of Scripture, it is easy to test this voice and see that it's not from God. So let's do it. The Bible says in our opening text, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So here's the acid test. Is the incarnation true? Was Jesus born of a virgin? Did God supernaturally, was he conceived in the womb of a virgin, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, did Mary give birth to God's only begotten son who had an earthly mother but a heavenly father? A boy who was not normal. A life that was not normal. A man who was far from normal because he had an earthly mama but he did not have an earthly daddy. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost so he was the God-man. And that sets Jesus apart from every other person ever born on this planet. Okay, now, so he says, that's the acid test. If, if somebody says, I believe that, that God wrapped himself in flesh in the incarnation, then that's of the Holy Spirit. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Now, we know that Islam does not teach that Jesus was God. Or that God came in the flesh in the person of Christ. They don't teach that. They do not believe that. They don't teach that. So how in the world can you take oil and water and try to mix them? 
How, what makes anybody think that those two can come together into a unified whole? No way. That alone, the fact that they don't teach the incarnation, don't believe the incarnation, that disqualifies the, the notion that the two religions can be combined. John says emphatically, if anybody denying the incarnation, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. When you say he was not born of flesh, he was not born of God, you have a touch of the spirit of Antichrist. Antichristos, the one who is against Christ, which you have heard that was coming and is now already in the world. So Paul taught clearly, we are not to combine our faith with any other. No. Don't team up. Listen to what the Bible says. Quote, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now, I can hear some people thinking, and some by radio, I'm certain, but Pastor Jeff, God was all about love. And if you go separating people that way and keeping them at arm's length and saying you really can't be a part of us unless you believe like we do, that's not love. And can I tell you, you believe in greasy grace. You don't know, because here's love. You have spiritual cancer. There is only one solution. That's the blood of Christ. And if you don't turn to the blood of Christ, your cancer of sin is going to kill you and destroy you for eternity. And I'm telling you the truth so that you can be saved. I'm not going to merge my faith with other faiths where it becomes lost and sort of a religious stew where you can't tell one from the other. No, 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 no. The Bible says, come apart and be separate, says the Lord. And he says, what union can there be between God's temple and idols? And that's 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. So the word of God is to be used in the hands of Christians like a microscope, pulling claims of truth up close to see whether they, they are what they claim to be. And it's like a scalpel, allowing us to slice and divide truth from error. And the word of God is the only thing that can do it. The word of God is quick and powerful, Hebrews 4.12 says. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Look at what it does. It cuts between soul and spirit. It cuts between joint and marrow. And I can take it further and say it cuts between truth and error. And it reveals the truth of a thing. <clears throat> it's to be used the same way with all their kinds of temptations and issues. When one is tempted, for instance, to experiment with drugs... How do you handle it? Let's just do a hypothetical situation here. Now, I go here because drugs have invaded our culture. People are being destroyed by meth, cocaine, heroin, alcohol, you name it. I mean, by the millions are being destroyed. And it, not one of those people ever woke up one day and said, you know, today I think I'm going to go get addicted. And I believe today I'm going to go ruin my life. And I'm going to waste away and lose my looks and lose my health and lose my friends, and lose my family, and lose my money, and lose everything. What a great idea. Nobody wakes up thinking that way. So how do they end up that way? The enemy comes to them and says, you know, you ought to try this one time. You're with a person, or you're with a group, and, and you end up around them, and, and suddenly somebody pulls out some drugs. Or, or, okay, 
and they're introduced, and you look at it. They say, try it, man. It's cool. It's all right. You can try it once. You're all right. Everybody ought to try it once. You may say no at that time, but the temptation to try it just once begins to work on you, and you begin to wonder in the theater of your mind, gee, should I just try it once? Would it really hurt anything to try it once? After all, everybody does it. After all, why not just get out there and, and get high one time so I can say I did it? And what if I'm missing something? And, and it can't be that bad because so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, they do it. So why not just try it just once, the voice says. Now, that's the time to test the voice. What does Scripture say? So if you don't know exactly how to find the passages, now here I'm going to get real basic for you. Real basic, but this is where we live. If you don't know exactly how to find the passages that speak to the issue you're struggling with, try your concordance. Everybody hold your Bible up. Hold your Bible up in the air. Wave it. Oh, there's your sword. There's your life. Man shall not live by word every, by bread alone, but every word that comes out of that book. Now, in the back of that Bible, you probably have a concordance. If it's not a very good one, everybody in here can get a Strong's. Strong's. A Strong's exhaustive concordance. You ought to have it. Because any word that is in the Bible is in that Strong's. And all you got to do is know the alphabet and you can look up the area where you're being tempted. And then you go to the passage. You look up key words like temptation. I'm being tempted. You're likely to be led to familiar passages like this one. Quote, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. Can everybody say that with me? God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He's got his hand on the dial. He's got his hand on the dial. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you what? Say it with me. A way out. An exit door. See that exit sign? When you're in the middle of a temptation, God is faithful to show you an exit door. And you take it while the taking is good. Because if you don't take it as soon as you see it, the more time that elapses, the more likely you're not going to walk through that door. But he says, God is faithful to give you an exit door. Look around for it. If you're in the middle of a temptation, there's an exit door flashing somewhere because God is faithful to give it to you. All right? So that you can endure the temptation. Now, I just read that out of the Bible, and I'm in the middle of thinking, should I try that drug? Should I do that? Should I go in that direction? And I see the Bible says, look, what you're experiencing is common to all people. You are not unique. You're not alone. You're not weird. You're not isolated. You are experiencing what many others have also experienced, and I want you to know that your God is faithful to give you an exit door. You ought to take that exit door, take it right now while the taking is good, and so he will open that door so that you can stand the temptation. Now, I read that, and it immediately invades the darkness of that temptation. Once I'm there at that verse, here's what you do. Take advantage of your cross-references. Found in the margin. Now you got your Bible there. You look over to the middle of the page or the bottom of the page. Somewhere there is a margin. And if you look in your verse, the verse in Corinthians, you will see A in front of one word, B in front of another word, C if the verse is nice and long in another word. And when you go 
A and go over to the margin and go to the verse number and see that letter, then you know that it's taking you to another passage that is also about temptation. So you can begin writing the cross-references and do a Bible study just by looking at those cross-references. One of the fundamental principles, watch this, church. This is real practical, real basic, but boy, we need to understand this. One of the fundamental principles of biblical interpretation is that Scripture is its own best interpreter. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, you should search and know by other places that speak to the issue more clearly. For this reason, the most important feature of any edition of the Bible, aside from the quality of the translation itself, is the system of cross-references provided in the margin. So, Pastor Jeff, why are you bringing this up? Because some people don't know their Bibles. Some people are brand new in the faith, and they get tempted. And the devil tries to shoot them out of the saddle before they really get going. So when you're tempted, you've got to, tra- you've got to go to the Bible to the area where you're being tempted, read a passage, and then take those cross-references, and it will take you here, then there, then another place, then another place, and you give it like 30 minutes, and you will find that you did a whole Bible study on your own just by using the cross-references. He says the cross-references helps the reader to find out the meaning of any hard place by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Let me give you a for instance. As I read 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that we just read, no temptation has taken you, but such is a common a man. In my Bible, I have a New King James Version. When I go to it in my Bible, the cross-references in the margin lead me to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, and Psalms 125, verse 3. Now, when I go to those passages, there's cross-references there too. And those cross-references at 1 Corinthians 1, 9, in turn, lead me to Isaiah 49, verse 7, and John 15, verse 4. Just following the cross-references will take me on a thorough study of the subject of temptation and God's ability to deliver me from it. So I start out with one verse, but because of the cross-references, I come away with 10 verses, 20 verses, and I'm not a theologian, you know, I'm newborn, I don't know the Bible good, but I can follow A, B, C. So use your cross-references to go to more passages, to beat the devil over the head, and deliver yourself from temptation. I want to encourage you, when you go home tonight, try it, you'll like it. Just try it. Pick any topic. Try it. And if you want a strong concordance, we've got them for sale back there. It's not much money. I've, got, I've still got this, the strong concordance that I had when I was still single, when I was 19. I used to sit at my table and go through that thing. It amazed me. Nothing that's in the Bible is not in that strongs. Everybody happy? Amen. Say cross-reference. cross-reference. Use them. Turn to your neighbor and say, use them or lose them. Now, another way to try the spirits, aside from the Word of God, is by knowing how the Lord sounds as opposed to how the enemy sounds. That is, how does Jesus approach us? 
And how does the enemy approach us? Jesus taught in John 10, verses 1 through 3, watch this carefully. I didn't catch this for a long time, but this really came alive to me. He says first, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep do what? Hear his voice. And he, what does he do? Calls his own. How does he do it? By, so say with me, he knows my name. He's going to call you by your name. He knows your name. He calls you by name and leads you out. Now I want you to notice what's in three words that were there. Notice that Jesus spoke of a door, of entry. And then he talked about the sheepfold, which is a sheep pen, where the sheep are kept. And he described a thief and a robber whose method of entry into the sheep pen was to sneakily climb over the wall rather than go through the door. So what is the door and what is the sheep pen and what is the wall that the robber climbs over? Watch this. The door is your will. The door is the will of man. The sheep pen is your heart, your life. We open the door of our hearts to the Lord when we hear him knocking. Jesus said in Revelations 3 verse 20, Look, I stand at the door and I knock. What's the door? It's my heart. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and do what? There's your will in operation and open the door. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That is, you'll get to know me and I will get to know you. I, we will be in fellowship together. So the Lord knocks on the door. The door is our heart. We open the door with our will. And when we open the door, he comes into our life. And he fellowships with us. Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force his way into our lives. Notice, he knocks. He invites. He beckons. He calls. He woos. But he doesn't force. How does the voice of the Lord approach us? How does the Lord approach us? He invites, he beckons, he calls, he knocks, but he doesn't force. The thief, on the other hand, climbs in some other way. Now, what is that way? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's through your emotions and your reasoning. God is after your heart. The devil goes after your mind every time, all right? The Lord knocks like a gentleman and waits for you to open and let him in. The devil sneaks in without your permission. He sneaks in. And his best pathway of attack 
is emotions and reasoning. Remember the day that Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to whip me. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. And what did Peter do? He got overwhelmed with emotion. And he said, far be it from you, Lord. Far be it from you. Don't talk that way. And Jesus wheeled around and didn't even talk to Peter. He said, Satan, I rebuke you. For you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. What had happened there? Peter got emotional. He was picturing his Lord, the one that he had grown to love, being crucified, being taken away from them. And emotion took over. And when the emotion took over, the devil used his emotions and latched onto him and started trying to talk Jesus out of the cross. Jesus immediately recognized the source and said, I rebuke you, Satan. You do not want the things that be of God, the things that be of men. And Peter was probably standing there looking at him like a deer stares at a new gate. Like, what? Calling me the devil? He didn't know it, but the devil just gotten hold of him. James said, hell can light your tongue on fire if you get emotional. It's through our emotions and reasoning. The thief appeals to our desires and our rationality. He climbs in some other way. Our thinking processes. Rather than gentle beckoning like Jesus, he bombards you with ideas and feelings. That's why the scriptures talk about pulling down strongholds and identifies those strongholds as being thoughts, reasonings that promote and exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Because the, the devil goes to work in your mind. How do you know about this faith stuff? That Bible is not the word of God. This all happened by evolution, not by the creation of God. Do what you want to do. Live your own life. Your life is yours. It's not God's. Go ahead, Eve, eat of it. God's just robbing from you, stealing from you. He attacks the mind, the thoughts, the emotions. And he climbs in that way. He forces his way into our lives through the gateway of emotionalism and reasoning contrary to the word. We can try the spirit or the voice that is speaking by recognizing its method of approach. Our shepherd enters through the door every time. God's always led me by my heart. Always. How about you? He's always led me by my heart. Now, I intellectually study his word, for sure. But my heart's involved the whole time. He speaks to my heart, warms my heart, gets my heart zealous. He, he gives me divine Holy Ghost heartburn. Okay? So he deals with my heart. But the enemy comes in another way and tries to lure us by thoughts and by feelings. Lure us by... And feelings can seem so much like God. I mean, it's so hard sometimes because if something looks right, feels right, seems right, appears right, it's so easy for you to think it's God. Ooh, when I'm around that person, I just feel so good. And you're single, and you've been around them a little bit. Only problem is they don't know Jesus. But your heart is being warm. I mean, you're just, you just know there's got to be something in this because you feel so good when you're around them. And, and there's got to be something of God in this because I wouldn't feel this way if God weren't in it. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. You've got to run everything through the sifter of God's Word. 
Our shepherd enters through the door. He knocks on the door by calling, wooing, and beckoning. He comes in with your permission when you open it. Satan, on the other hand, threatens, intimidates, working on the basis of fear. Here's what he says. If you don't do this, he says, you will suffer. Bad things are going to happen if you don't do this. You're always going to be alone. Your needs are never going to be met. You're going to miss out on life. And he tries to get you to take a wrong step by fear. He moves by intimidation. Are you ready? The shepherd never does. Jesus beckons while Satan orders. The enemy drives you, compels you, pushes you. He uses urgency. Do it right now. You better do it right now. <laughs> but not Jesus. The true shepherd goes ahead of us. He goes down the road a little bit and he says, says the shepherd calls his own sheep by name. It's personal. Here, Jeff. Come here, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. I'm over here. Come on. Come on, Jeff. I'm coming, Jesus. He doesn't say, get over here or I'm going to vaporize you. He says, come on, Jeff. Come on. I say, okay. He knows my name. I recognize that voice. He's not pushing, cajoling, pressuring, threatening. He's calling. He knows us. Next, Jesus said he leads them out. He walks ahead of them. And they follow him. Why, everybody? Because they know his voice. They recognize his approach. Jesus beckons. He goes ahead of us and leads. He doesn't push force like Satan does. God beckons. Satan drives. The Lord leads. Satan pushes. God gives peace. Satan leads by fear. As I train myself to understand the way God approaches, I'm less and less likely to be deceived by another voice, the voice of the stranger. We can try the Spirit by how it approaches. If it's hasty, pushy, demanding, or threatening, you can bet it's not the voice of the Lord. We're done. Let's stand together, can we? You know, what I share with you tonight, I learned through some hard knocks. There are times I've been so fooled, so fooled, thinking it was the voice of God and it was not. And I learned the hard way how to try that voice. And you know what? I'm not perfected at it. I, I still could think something was God and it's not. But it's going to be a whole lot harder now to pull the wool over my eyes than it was 30 years ago. God is very faithful. If you will just wait and say, God, is this you? He's very faithful to confirm, to give peace, to reaffirm what he's saying, and he will guide you with peace. Let's thank God for his voice, for his leadership. Lord, thank you for giving us the tools to try the Spirit's whether they are of God. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the, the peace of God. Thank you for your approach. 
Thank you, Lord, for having a distinctive way about you. We're learning your ways, Lord. Thank you for helping us to be wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. Now, if you're seeking God's leadership and guidance in your life in a particular area right now, I want you to raise your hand up towards him. Many, many, many of you. Now, I want you to just thank him that he's going to lead you. Father, I just thank you for the word of God over them. Guide them into those green pastures of tender grass and the still, quiet waters of the Spirit. Lead them and guide them. Now you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, get me there. I receive your word tonight. Help me to apply it. In Jesus' name.